You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 62. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures mate for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast, dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. All right, guys, today we are talking to Andy Vargo, who challenges each of us to own your awkward. Andy came out of the closet at age 40, which has not been what defined him, but it's allowed him to channel his passion for helping others. So during the day, Andy works for corporate events and schools as a motivational speaker, and he works with folks one-on-one as a life coach. And at night, you can find him working stages around the Northwest as a comedian, making light of his journey. He's also the author of the Awkward Journal series, hosts the podcast Own Your Awkward, and shares his thoughts and idea in his blog and video series on his website. We're going to talk to Andy about a bunch of stuff today, guys, but we're going to talk about his story about coming out as a gay man at 40 years old. You know, Cassie will tell a little bit about her story and we'll see some of how that is different. We're going to talk about acceptance and why acceptance is important and the link between self-acceptance and being comfortable in your own skin and confidence and how that plays into the rest of your life. And we're also going to talk about how you can find more self-confidence and more self-acceptance and then steps you can take to find acceptance outside of yourself. So finding your community, when to come out, all that great stuff. So it's a great interview, guys. And uh, let's hop in. All right. So we're going to start talking to Andy Vargo today. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So we're going to kind of talk today a little bit about dealing with a world where you might not be accepted. And before we dive into that, I'd like to, you know, talk a little bit about you and sort of your story, because I think that'll help kind of go into that topic. Does that sound cool with you? That's excellent. I'd love to share. I think this is, uh, yeah, I I think this is super good because we have a lot of people who feel awkward for a number of reasons. Like we have a lot of LGBTQ crossover. We have a lot of people who are not in traditional relationships. We have people who are kinky. So yeah, we've got a great, I'm, I'm actually super excited for this topic. So yeah, I, I'd, I'd be super interested if you told us a little bit about your story and how you kind of got here to doing what you're doing now. Yeah. So I'm currently 43, which uh, not that age really matters, but in my case it does because for myself, I, I'm gay. Uh, I'm very out, but I wasn't until three years ago. And so you know, I was raised in a very Catholic household, very religious beliefs uh, in the 90s. You know, I was graduated high school in 94. And though things were more progressive in the Northwest back then, you know, in my world, they really weren't. And so I didn't feel comfortable being gay. And I honestly didn't really want to be gay. I wanted to have a, a family. That was the life I wanted to live. And I didn't really come to terms with who I was until three years ago. And even though it was something that I always knew about myself, I spent the first 40 years of my life being afraid of anything that would give away my biggest secret. And, you know, I, I, I joke about being afraid of snakes or spiders or needles, but for years, my biggest fear was, is that going to make me look gay? And you're talking about 
going out to lunch with coworkers and, you know, do you order fish or salad? Cause that's going to make me look gay versus a hamburger or ordering beer instead of wine. And so finally, when I was turning 40, I was super depressed the week before I turned 40 and I was in a relationship that wasn't the best relationship. Uh, I wasn't happy with myself. My career was not going the way I wanted it to go. And I was, I wasn't depressed about being old. I was depressed about the fact that I just thought life would be better by this time in my life. And I knew in that moment that everything was going to change in the next year. And so it took a couple more months, but I came out, got divorced, and that ended up leading to me being able to accept myself. And now after getting out of the industry that I was in, that was like the last step for me to now actually take my story and share it with the world to help people understand that it's okay to be who you are. And it's actually like, to me, it's urgent that you accept yourself and be okay with it because every day that you don't, you are passing up missed opportunities and joy and happiness and connections with people at a deeper level because you're not sharing who you are and you're not giving yourself to the world fully. So to me, you're, you're robbing the world of some, someone that they could enjoy and love and you're, you're, you're really hurting yourself even more. So, so now I coach people on life changes and I am a motivational speaker going out, telling my story and, and my message is own your awkward because uh, I didn't do that for years. And now I think that's so important to do. So, so that's kind of, that's where I'm at now. So. So that's really interesting. So you, what age, so if you don't mind me asking, like when, what age were you when you realized that you weren't fitting into, I guess, you know, kind of what, what your family and society wanted you to? Realistically, from as long as I had any type of attraction, I was attracted to men. You know, even I remember as a, as a like five or six year old being drawn towards men in a different way than I felt was right. And it wasn't even that I understood sexuality at that point, but I really yearned for male role models or, or men to be in my life. And as I got into puberty, I definitely understood that sexually I had a desire and attraction towards men. I felt like it was something that was maybe just teenage hormones on override that I could kind of get past because when you're dating girls as a teenager, everything works just from the breeze. So, so it's not like, it's not like you go, Oh, I, I can't function with a, with a woman, but I got married and felt like, okay, I'm not living a gay life. This is the life that I wanted to live was a family life. So did you, and you're saying you grew up in like a really religious family? Yeah. I mean, we were, I was the youngest of seven kids in a, in a Catholic household and, and religion was really important and being gay wasn't talked about a lot back then. It wasn't in society, but I knew it wasn't right. Yeah. We, um, it's funny, Cassie and I come from very, very different backgrounds on that. And so I'm the oldest of nine. Yeah. I'm okay. the oldest of nine and I come from a fairly religious family. Like my, you know, my father trained to be a, he was in like seminary, you know, to be a minister for a while. And he didn't wind up doing that. But, you know, when I was young, everybody was really serious about church and like, you know, my family would try and like convert missionaries, like the missionaries who came around <laughs> from other religions to, uh -huh. you know, yeah, yeah. it's, it's super. And then Cassie had like a whole very, very different, uh, it couldn't be more opposite in some ways. Well, wow. in, in my sort of background, my father, I was, so I was raised by my dad, a single dad mm -hmm. who is flat out a hippie and still is. He's still very much like, whatever, Casso, whatever <laughs> makes you happy, right? Right. 
I didn't actually come out to my dad. My father actually found me between the legs of my first girlfriend. Oh. And that sounds exactly the way it is. <laughs> and and he was very like loving and caring about it. He actually walked out of my bedroom door, closed it behind him and was like, when you're done, come on out and talk to me. <laughs> and my girlfriend at the time was like, does that mean we can finish? And I was like, oh no, honey, no, <laughs> I need to go talk to my dad. You're like, no, I'm, um, I'm distracted at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, major, major turnoff. Yeah. So, um, you know, he, he talked to me and he basically was like, you know, just don't do anything to try to impress boys and recognize that, you know, you still want to be safe, even if you're having sexual relations with, with females rather than males. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, cool, dad. And that was really it. Like that was the conversation and it was all good. So I recognize that my story is very different than a lot of other people's stories and how accepting my background is like my family. And it's not just my dad. It's my stepmother. My grandfather are all very accepting, open people. And so I recognize when I hear other people's stories, how challenging that is to come out and talk to folks who, you know, might be your parents or your loved one about these things that you realize they're not going to be happy about. Oh, completely. And, and I, my parents have been great given the fact when I came out, my dad was 80 and my mom was 75. And so you have age and generation as well as the religious aspects, but they, they, my whole family has been really great. And I haven't, I haven't run into any issues with my friends and family. I think people who may have an issue just kind of quietly fade away. But the stress of driving over to your parents' house as a 40-year-old going, oh my gosh, I'm going to tell mom and dad that I'm gay and I'm getting divorced. And like seriously having my phone in my pocket, not knowing if I need to have like the nine and the one already dialed so that I can just hit one more one and have paramedics there. (laughs) I'm like, am I going to give them a heart attack? But actually it's made us closer now that we've been able to, they can know me at a whole different level. So. That's one of those things where people either tend to, you know, once once you do make that choice, right, people at some point, not initially, because initially there's there's a lot of times a lot of drama, but at some point people tend to either come around or, as you said, fall out of your life. Like it's it's you know, it's not uh, that's maybe a topic for maybe a topic for hair later. But I'm so I'm, I'm I'm still a little curious. I'm still a little curious about your story, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah you realize that you were at least attracted to men early on. So like, did you, and you said you didn't really accept that until you were in your forties. And I'm curious what you meant about that. Like, was it something that you, you knew was a thing and you were just kind of, you know, decided you were going to ignore it because that wasn't the life you wanted to build for yourself? Or was it, was it really like this idea of, you know, like I can change that. Yeah, you know, it, it really was, um, I guess it's it's kind of a combo for me because I felt like I could ignore it and just get over it. And, you know, my wife and I were really good friends in high school and I felt a lot of love towards her. So I, I felt like it was the right thing to do to pursue that life. I didn't feel like I was being deceptive in a way of, oh, I'm going to pull one over and then somehow later come out. That was never a plan. I really felt like, okay, I, I've I've ignored it and I've I've beaten this and those feelings, I felt like, honestly, those feelings would just die away over time because I was married and, and with a woman. Yeah. So what, and I mean, I know you're saying you kind of had like hit your forties and had a little bit of a, 
crisis sure. maybe so to speak but what was it that like really inspired you like it was time to do something different well i think that you know a couple things just biologically the feelings wouldn't go away the older i got and in fact they actually got stronger and that could just be because i wasn't having those experiences so then they're nagging at you and also in my own marriage it we had grown apart in a lot of different ways over the years and so that really wasn't going well and my realization was if if this life that I'm trying so hard to make happen isn't working and it's not making me happy, why am I fighting so hard to make this work? Why not just go for the thing that should be natural and easy for me and actually just experience life the way I want to actually honestly experience it? When all this happened, who did you originally come out to first, if you don't mind me asking? Well, first I told my psychologist, which was interesting because I had, I had shared with him that we were, my wife and I were having problems in the, in the bedroom and, and she had lost a lot of weight over the last couple of years. And, and her feeling was that I couldn't handle her being a competent woman. And I had shared with my psychologist, I said, well, she has this thought that, that this is why I am not interested in her because I need her to be, you know, overweight in order for me to be happy. And I just said, but but I know it's something different. He's like, well, what's that? It's like, well, I actually have feelings for men. And it was, it was interesting because I always thought about being afraid to tell someone the first time that I'm gay. And, and I was afraid of, of that interaction. But after I told him that and left the office, I learned very quickly that the scarier moment for me became the second time you see someone after you tell them. Because for me, when you tell somebody something like that, it's just kind of a, a, a bombshell that you're dropping and, and they're going to be politically correct. They're going to typically react either supportive or they're not really going to know what to say. But then you leave for a week or two and you're coming back going, I wonder what he really thinks. Is this going to be the conversation where he says, oh, I appreciate you sharing that, but I really can't work with you or it doesn't fit into my, my, my practice or my morality or whatever. And, and these are all things that I'm well over now. But at the time, anytime I told somebody, I had this nervous feeling of what's it going to be like the next time I see them. It's so funny that you say that because I've never thought about that. But now that I'm, I'm thinking back to, you know, my experiences and I, I, I haven't had to come out, you know, orientation wise, but I've, I've come out to people about being polyamorous, about not being in a, mm-hmm. in a monogamous relationship. And now that you say that, looking back on that, that is exactly what does happen pretty much with every single person I've told. Like the first time is just kind of like a shocked rush off the phone or Mm -hmm. rush out of the meeting, you know, and then the second time you really hear what they think. And I actually, so I told, I was very careful about how I told immediate family. I told my psychologist, then the next person I told was my wife and kids and and then I went into siblings and parents. And after that, I actually started inviting people to watch me do stand-up comedy and they could hear me come out on stage. So <laughs> it took the stress out of it. Yeah, well, that's that's another interesting. So how did you go from how did you what, what took you from that point, right, of like, you know, making that decision to come out to making the jump into everything that you're doing now? That's quite a quite a dramatic transition in, in a short period of time. <laughs> It really is because it's it's only been three years. And honestly, within about seven months of when I came out, I started doing stand-up. And the first couple of times I did stand-up, I didn't share that I was gay on stage. I joked about very kind of boring middle-aged father 
divorce kind of stuff. And, and a couple months into it, I realized that I wasn't really getting into anything that was really the, the unique to my story. So I, I got up on stage and I said, oh, it's been a, a rough year. I just found out my wife's husband is gay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it just kind of opened up this whole new area of stuff to talk about. And, and in, in that one sentence, I can share that I just came out, that I was married, that I'm now divorced. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But what really happened was it got really real and it became very therapeutic. My, I've realized that my personality is to jump into things with two feet. So if I'm going to do something, I go all the way. And that, that, that becomes things like this. So as soon as I started doing stand-up, that actually became very therapeutic. And anything that was on my mind, I just worked through on stage. And that, you know, rolled into, I, I had already been planning to do motivational speaking. And I, when I started doing stand-up comedy, it was with the, the idea that I'm very comfortable in front of people for sales presentations and training, but I need to be comfortable in a different way. So initially I started doing stand-up just to give it a try for that reason, thinking I'll do it a few times and move on, but I kind of fell in love with it. So do you think being a comedian has helped other people like accept themselves and embrace who they are? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's interesting. The comedians that I've met, and I've made so many friends in the comedy world the last two years, two and a half years since I've been doing it. And, I, and I've met them from all walks of life. And everybody gets up there and bears their soul about some of the most personal things you wouldn't want to talk to people that you're very close with about. And those same people can step on the stage and be socially awkward and not feel comfortable sitting next to you for a drink because their comfort zone is being up on stage where they have control of the mic and the room. So it, it helps them through those times personally, but also it helps the audience so much because everybody in the audience is connecting with you for a different reason. And people in the audience don't connect with me because I'm gay. They connect with me because I'm, I've figured out that I wasn't authentic and I am now and that's the story that I'm telling. And it's, you know, I, I like to say everybody's in the closet about something and we all have these things we have to go through and making light of it just releases the tension and makes you go, oh, it's okay to laugh about the situation, find the humor in it, but then also find the lesson and apply it to our own lives wherever we are and whatever we're dealing with. So, so I think it really does. So you'd said earlier that you, your thing is kind of to own your awkward. So what, what does that mean to you? Well, to me, owning your awkward is, it's way different than just getting over whatever it is that you're self-conscious about. Because I believe that whenever, if you picture a room full of people that, that you're about to step into, it's a cocktail party, a mixer, some, a friend's party, and you really don't know very many people there, but, but you're there. Everybody that's walking into that room is self-conscious and nervous about something that they're presenting to the world. For some of us, it's age, some of us is body image, sometimes it's, you know, the way we dress or the way we talk, it doesn't matter what it is. For me, for years, it was that I was gay. And when I talk about owning your awkward, it's not just about dealing with your life in spite of that thing that, that makes you self-conscious. It's taking that thing, because I believe that that one thing that you're self-conscious about is probably what everybody loves you for. And it's a lot of times the most enduring, unique, cute quality that people like about you. You look at people who may feel like they are older and not as good at technology. Other people love the character that they bring into that conversation. And so learning to identify it and make that be something that you use as a platform to spring your success forward is, is what I'm referring to when I say own your awkward. 
So for me, it's about the fact that I was gay. I have other issues. I've got crooked teeth and a bald head in the back and a big old gut. And all those things are just part of me, but I'm okay with it. And I've learned to take all the parts of my personality and make those part of my presentation, my appearance when I'm on stage or connecting with people. It's like, that's, that's my story. And that's actually what's driving my success more than holding me back, where I always thought it was holding me back. So uh, we'd, we'd wanted to talk some on this episode about acceptance, because I think it's a really interesting topic. Like I said, especially for our people, we have a lot of people who I'd say are in the closet. Is that the right word? But for, for various reasons, right? Like, well, in some, some it is in the closet, as you would typically understand in the closet to be, you know, to other people, it's but it's some other aspect of their life. Like we deal a lot with non-monogamous people. So, you know, one one thing that we have to talk to people about quite regularly is coming out. Like, when is that an appropriate thing? How do you do that? How does it affect your life? And, and, you know, all kinds of different people have all different kinds of aspects of themselves that they would maybe typically find, as you said, to be that awkward thing about them that they're hiding in their, their everyday life. That is the level at which we interact with people on. And it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to me because there's like this constant search for acceptance in people People are going out there, they're trying to find communities of like-minded people, they're trying to hang out. And at the same time, everybody's always wondering, like, but how much do I present to the world? How much do I come out? Like, where do I need to be accepted? It's, it's an interesting conversation. And also, it's interesting because a lot of times with all that, there's also the, the folks who also, self, you know, are like dealing with self-acceptance. Like, even when we're talking about like non-monogamy, we have folks who are like, I just... I couldn't believe that that's who I am, that that's what I, what I do. Like, this isn't what I was taught. Like I, I shouldn't be this way. So I think it's kind of various degrees of needing acceptance and some of it's ourselves versus society versus family. And it's an area that we're always striving for. Oh, definitely. I, and acceptance is so it's critical to accept yourself. And like you say, a lot of people don't even realize that they're not accepting themselves or what that struggle is. So that can be very hard to identify and you have to do a lot of soul searching to really find what it is that you're struggling with. When I came out, it was really, it was interesting for me to figure out where I fit in in a gay community that I honestly didn't want to be a part of for a long time because a lot of the, the things that I saw were not the most flattering in the press over the years of, of a gay community. And, and it was hard for me to identify in that lifestyle. And so then it became hard for me to understand, to accept people wherever they are at in their journey, because I just might not be in that place yet. But acceptance, there's a difference between acceptance and conforming. And I, and I think a lot of people feel like in order to be accepted, they need to conform. And that's to me is not the case. I think we need to first accept ourselves over everything. And then we can learn how to put ourselves confidently into the world and then find people that are supportive. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you only hang around with people that are in your same clique or group or completely like-minded, but that you surround yourself with people that support you with who you are and bring you that type of acceptance. Yeah. So I want to talk, I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about self-acceptance specifically versus like taking that process that you just said and transitioning that into kind of acceptance in more situations. First, I'm curious, what do you feel are some of the issues that arise when we're not accepting ourselves? We're not being accepted by other people. You know, we're, we're just feeling like we're different. Well, 
it holds us back in so many ways. And for example, if, if you're not accepting yourself, that shows through in everything that you do as a lack of confidence. And people are going to question your, your answers, your judgment, whether they should look up to you as a leader or a boss, or whether they should buy a product from you if they question that there's something that you lack confidence in. We may interpret that. Let's say that I'm self-conscious about being gay, like I was for years. If I go into a situation and I answer with a shaky voice or I don't speak firm about what I believe in a situation at work, but it's because I feel like I don't even accept myself in my sexuality, so I don't speak up very much and I don't want to draw any attention to myself, the rest of the room, they're seeing me as, as having a lack of confidence in the answer that I'm providing or the solution that I'm bringing to the table. And yet I could perceive it as, well, they probably know that I'm gay or that I'm hiding something so they don't, they don't like me or trust me. And in reality, it has nothing to do with the inner struggle that I'm having with accepting myself. But the inner struggle that I have with accepting myself is projecting onto the world in a way that undermines their ability to trust and believe and follow me. Yeah, I'm finding this link that you're drawing between specifically self-acceptance and confidence to be a really interesting one. I don't think that's one that I'd, you know, we talk about the, the need to accept ourselves all the time, but I don't think I've heard a lot of people go into the reasons for that and your connection between that directly affecting your confidence in everyday situations. Uh, that's that's a really interesting point. Yeah, a lot of times we hear things where it's like you, and, and we tell people this because it's true, you want to accept yourself so you can be happy with yourself and feel good. But I like the fact that you're talking not only about how it makes you feel, but how it can actually like affect you in your job or your business or your social life as well. So when I made the switch to be a motivational speaker, you know, my story is about coming out and being in the closet and being gay. But I also didn't want that to be the only thing that defines me because that undermines every other part of me as a person. And when I started talking about, about how self-acceptance affects every other part of your life, I started making that connection that if a salesperson is trying to sell you something and, and you, you sense that they have a lack of confidence, you're, you're not trusting them and you think that you're, they're hiding something about the sale, but it's really their own issues and to turn it around the other way. And I really had to put a lot of thought into where are the links and the connections in my life where my life got better because of accepting myself, even though those are parts of my life that have nothing to do with dating or sexuality or being gay. But being able to own my awkward, be myself, be confident has made all the difference in every other aspect of my life. And it's, it's taken a lot of kind of self-reflection, self-awareness. And, and a lot of times it's observations from friends who make comments like, gee, I, I saw you before and you know, your shoulders were slumped and you talked really low and you weren't that excited about life. And, and now it's just like a switch has been flipped and, and you're on fire with all these different things. Why do you think that is that not accepting yourself in one portion of your life can bleed over so far into other things? Is it, you know, I heard you say that basically you're worried, you know, like you're worried that they might find out about this. They might pick up on this thing about you that you're uncomfortable about. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with X and, you know, in all my interactions with you, I'm worried that you're going to pick up on X. And so that bleeds over me, me being uncomfortable. Is that what you're saying? Oh, exactly. It's that idea about stress being the silent killer or always in the background of something. 
and you don't even necessarily hear it or feel it. It's very intangible, yet it's always there. And so it's always affecting everything you do. And for myself, that was the stress of, of being found out. Yeah, it does just, doesn't just sound like stress. It sounds like fear, like having to guard yourself in all your interactions because at any point you could slip and put out this thing about you that you want to be hidden. Oh, exactly. It, it was definitely fear because it was, and it was fear from the, the moment I woke up till the moment I went to bed. And even then, even as I'm falling asleep thinking, I hope I don't have a dream about a guy and say a guy's name or, or talk in my sleep or, you know, it's, it, it never stopped the fear. And so when you face your biggest fear, it, it's so empowering because all of a sudden it's almost like you're unstoppable. I, now I have other fears that have risen to the top, but it, it is really life-changing. Is being normal really all it's cracked up to be? Huh, that's a good question. And you know, it's, it's interesting because I spent my whole life up until a couple of years ago trying to be normal, trying to fit in. And I was not very happy trying to do that. And now, actually, on the flip side, I'm kind of a different kind of gay. I don't necessarily fit into all of some of the same party scene and stuff that a lot of gay culture does. So I, I, I feel like, where is normal? I don't feel normal in, in the world I was living, and I don't always feel normal in the new world. But So I don't think that being normal is all it's cracked up to be. And, and I actually honestly think that normal is an illusion that we create by the bits and pieces of the world around us that we see and we piece together in our own expectations of what we think life should be like. I feel like I could dive way into that. <laughs> that was deep. Every um, once in a while, I get a, a deep one out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to... I'm trying, it's kind of the same theory behind a lot of mindfulness, right? That we're, we're kind of creating this idea of what 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 the world looks like normally, even though that isn't actually a thing. Like we're kind of putting that together for ourselves. Right. It's an interesting Well, and it's funny. Like I feel like there's this weird dichotomy, especially a lot with with our kinds of people, where it's there's this this pride in not being normal, right? There's like this pride in, you know, I'm non-monogamous or, you know, I'm kinky or or this or that. But it's a pride that at the same time it's you have on the one hand, it, it's a pride like while you're out with that crowd, like it's something that you're proud about. Maybe it's something you're proud to yourself about. But there's this dichotomy where you also are hiding that from a bunch of people at the same time. And also you want to be the normal within that group. Oh, sure. Like you don't want to be. Well, we'll talk about kinksters for a second. You don't want to be the weird kinkster. You want to <laughs> be a kinkster, which is weird from the normal vanilla folks. Right. And you can be proud about that, and you can be proud about that. But you don't want to be the kinkster that's the odd kinkster out because then you're weird amongst the other kinksters. So it's this idea of even when you are finding that you don't necessarily fit into the quote unquote, and I'm putting air quotes that no one can see up norm that you still have to be within the weird norm. Sure. Yeah. Norm for weird. Yeah. I, I don't know how else to put it, but it, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird statement, but it's, it, it's got this idea that you still want to fit in to a group and be part of a mold. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and there, there is no matter what, no matter how different you want to be from the, the air quote, unquote, you know, normal world, people still want companionship and they want people to understand them. So I think even beyond being normal, it's I want to find people that understand me and can support me in that way. 
That makes sense. And it's so I'm curious. I, I wanted to talk more about this this process that you laid out, actually, because it was something that you touched on in a sentence that I actually felt was was really powerful. And and I'm I'm probably misquoting you here, so you can correct me. But it was essentially something to the point of you find self-confidence so that you can put that out to the world. And once you're able to do that, you can find the people who accept you. So the self-confidence kind of becomes a prerequisite for any of that. It definitely does. So even myself trying to date people, I've been out of the closet for three years now. I had, I had one boyfriend for about six months. And other than that, I've been single and, you know, gone on lots of dates and stuff. But, but when I first started to date people, I was trying to figure out what made me normal as a gay person or how I would fit in. And I, and I, I still didn't have that self-confidence in myself to where when someone would say, well, what do you like to do or where do you want to go? I'm like, oh, we can do whatever you want to do. I don't care. But then it's like, well, what if we go snowboarding or this? Well, it's like, well, I'm not very coordinated. That's probably not a good idea. So I had to learn <laughs> to be actually confident in my own abilities to say, no, I like to hike. I like, you know, mild hiking, not mountain climbing. I like to have movie and game nights and happy hour with friends. And I have pretty, pretty varied interests. I do, you know, comedy and, you know, I like to explore and go road trips but to be able to be confident enough to say, this is what I enjoy doing. And sure, I'm open to trying other things, but have a base of some sort of confidence that I can say, you know, now I feel like I actually bring some value to the world. And I used to spend so many hours getting passed up where it was like, oh, I thought we'd go do this with this guy and then never heard back. And I finally started saying, you know what, this is what I'm doing this weekend. I'm going to go on this hike or I'm going to go explore this part of town and and if someone wants to join me, that's great, but I'm not going to put my life on hold waiting for someone else to accept me into theirs. So how, how do you, I think that's something that we all, that we all kind of struggle with. You know what I mean? I think even the most, I think that's something that even people who otherwise feel really comfortable with themselves, I think there's always that level of, I think like you said, like wanting to appear normal, right? Or wanting to, as you said, like, like wanting to, um, yeah, like whatever, you know, I'm, I'm up for whatever. I'm not. It's trying to appease others, yeah. I oh, think. Sure. Yeah, maybe that's the right way to say it. What We've talked a lot about like why it's important to be self-confident. What do you think are like some steps that people, you know, if I'm sitting here right now and I'm listening to you and I'm like, damn, that that sounds like something I really need to work on. Or maybe you're like me and you're sitting here like, I think I have a handle on it, but damn, that sounds like something I want to work on even more after having this conversation with Andy. Like, what what are some tips you can give people on, you know, what they can do to improve self-acceptance and therefore self-confidence? Yeah, I, I think a big one is to push yourself outside of your comfort zone and and do things that are challenging you to put yourself out into the world in a way that you might not normally be okay with. Like, for example... I went hiking. I went for a jog around the neighborhood the other day and a friend of mine dared me to wear Harlequin socks with shorts while I went on my hike. Now, I would normally very be very self-conscious about everything matching and making sure that if I'm wearing black shoes, I have black socks and, and all that kind of stuff. So this was a stretch for me, but I did it and I it took me a little while. It took me about, it's, it was a four mile run and I think it took me about two and a half miles through the run to stop worrying about if every car driving by was noticing my socks before I just kind of got into my own thoughts. But just taking little steps to do things that make you uncomfortable because in that discomfort is where we have growth in ourselves. 
Sounds like something one of your your coaches had you do at one point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know I can't say that that's an original thing I came up with. That's something I do. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. It's something you do. I thought it was something you got from somebody. No, it's something I have my clients do. <laughs> but yeah, I, I have something that I I have my clients do when I'm working with them and I'm trying to help them build up their confidence, which is to go somewhere, order something or try to buy something that that place doesn't have. So for example, and I've done this myself, going to Starbucks and asking them if you can buy a puppy um, because oh. it puts you in an awkward situation. You know that you're going to hear no, Right. But it's mm-hmm. partially just that doing something that you know is going to be silly and goofy and working on right. that confidence. So you have to step out of your comfort level just to deal with that. Yeah. And it's it's very empowering to do that, as you know, because it, it forces you to, to accept that, for one, that you're going to be in that situation. And then it also forces you to accept the reality of the rejection or the fallout or the eyes looking at you and be okay and walk away with your head held high, knowing that that was the whole point of what you were going to do. Yep. That's why it's great for like dating clients. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I almost like want to now brainstorm some like, like silly things or not silly is maybe not the word, but like ways people can like put themselves a little out of their comfort zone in day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. So I did write a guided journal that's called life gets funner. Okay. And the idea behind that is that you write down three things you're going to do every day to make your life a little bit more fun. And in there, I have a dare each day that you can try and do. And it's things like like wearing mismatched socks or randomly playing charades in the break room with whoever walks in or yeah, <laughs> little, little things like that. Where it's like, what can you do during your day to put some more fun into it? And, you know, one of them that, that I like is... Um, answer all questions during the day that you get with a phone a friend so you know it's like you're at the grocery store and the checker says paper or plastic and you're like wait john should i use paper or plastic i got 20 seconds quick (laughs) (laughs) and it's crazy and it's stupid but it puts you in a situation you wouldn't be in and it's going to make people laugh and you're just going to have fun in your day well, it is that thing, right? Because like so many of us spend so much of our time trying to avoid those kinds of situations and worrying about putting ourselves in those situations. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's funny. I like the dares. I like the daily dares. That that sounds very useful. That's awesome. Yeah. And sometimes I have to take my own advice and be like, okay, if if I'm going through the doldrums, I got to like, you know, force myself to have a little fun. Any other any other tips for I guess self acceptance? I mean, I feel like you know we've we've been focusing really on the confidence end of it too, but like, what are some steps people can take just to work on accepting themselves more beyond the confidence end of things? Right? Like, I figure out I am I am X, I am gay, I am you know, and I'm not comfortable with that. When you're presenting yourself to the world in a certain way, I think it's really important to always ask yourself, why is it important that I present myself this way? Why am I doing it this way? Why am I going to the places I'm going or hanging out with the people that I'm hanging out with or whatever it is? Because if the reason why is because you think it's the right thing to do or because it's how you're going to be viewed, then then that's an external reason that has nothing to do with what you really want. And if you can understand that it's it's because you really feel at your core, this is what you want to do today or where you want to go, or these are people I really connect with, 
then that that's the part of you that you need to accept is the part that is inside you and don't be changing your why because of external forces. Yeah, it's funny. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. I think I was actually talking to one of our clients. And, but without going too far into the question, I was talking about the importance of minding that feeling that you have that you're not going to be okay with what you're doing. Like even on a minor level, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not saying something serious where you're like, oh God, like this is going to be off later. But just like you do something and you get that feeling, you're like, I know this is going to feel ick later. Like I'm going to think less right. of myself because I did this thing that maybe it's not a big deal, right? Like maybe the thing itself isn't a big deal. Maybe my coworker's asking me to help them out with something that isn't my job and I don't really have time to do. And it's like, it may not be a huge deal for me to say yes, but I know that if I do, I'm going to get that feeling of like, ick, like I, I shouldn't, you know, I wasn't sticking up for myself there and I should have. And like, I think that's an important feeling to keep in mind, right? And it goes with what you're saying of why am I doing this thing? Like, what is the actual reason I'm, I'm doing this thing now? Exactly. And unfortunately, all too often we ignore our gut feelings because we're trained to second guess ourselves. Aside for dealing with your inner self, right? When you're dealing with the outside world and you're dealing with sort of other people that may not accept you, do you have any suggestions on how to deal with that? Um, well, I think the first thing that you need to do when you come to terms with accepting yourself, you do need to have your own support system of people that you can confide in and, and build support because you are going to run into roadblocks and you are going to run into people who who don't support you. And chances are you're going to run into that when you least expect it, when you're at the height of your confidence and you know, you've been getting yeses all along and all of a sudden someone just knocks the wind out from under you. So number one is to have that support system kind of built before you encounter it so that you can come back to them. But also to, to remember that the people that you encounter that disagree with you or don't like you or whatever, the things that they do or say only have the weight upon you that you allow them to have. So if someone tells me that I am a despicable person and I'm rude and I mean, that doesn't have any power if I don't believe it. So you've got to be able to not believe what people tell you in order to not let it affect you that deeply. That's an interesting thing. So how do you, how do you go about practicing that though? Uh, it's not easy. And I, I will tell you when I, so when I came out, I remember being in my room a year and a half after I came out and still kind of beating myself up about how I had been my whole life. And I realized that I, I call it your inner bully because I realized that the biggest bully I've had my whole life had been myself. And so, you know, I did it through journaling where I would write down my thoughts and then I would look at, trying to understand if these were thoughts that were positive thoughts that I was adding into my life or if I was beating myself up. And then I would practice stopping saying them. And what there's two, two tricks, one that I kind of developed on my own and then one that a friend of mine told me. Um, the first one is I remember the cartoons where you have the, the devil and the angel on the shoulder kind of, you know, in the cartoons and they're telling the guy to do the good and the bad thing. And I, I actually was able to develop a voice in my head for the negative thoughts and I could, I could actually detach that from my, my own mind and picture those as the, the bad guy on my shoulder just saying, no, you're bad, you're awful, you're wicked. 
And it helped me be easier for me to not believe him and go, no, don't listen to that guy. He's a bad guy. That's, 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 that's bad thinking. And, and so I, I would tell myself I'm thinking bad right now instead of saying I am bad. And the other, the other thought that a friend of mine was on my podcast and he shared that he had this idea of a puppy. He used to think of monsters like taking over your life and it was out of control when he had negative thoughts. But he started thinking about it as a puppy that just wasn't trained. And so the puppy would jump up on his leg and, and it, the puppy always going to be there because they always need to be trained. But he would just tell the puppy, no, you need to stay down. And, and that it's just, that's what needs to be trained and dealt with. But it's not because it's this big, scary thing you can't get over. It's because it's this little puppy that hasn't learned yet. And you've got to keep training them. You're always going to have to train them. So I'm going to take a step back for just a second. That was really good. I want to take a step back for just a second because earlier you were talking about, you know, like I said, that whole kind of process of once you're able to accept yourself, you're able to put who you want out to the world and then you're able to find the people who accept you. And you're just talking about building a support network too. Once you've, you've come around to being more accepting of yourself and you're, you're putting that more out to the world, how do you go about finding people who do accept you at that point? Like the support group that you're talking about, right? Like the like-minded people who we all need. It's not a fast process. There, there can be people that I, there's people that I've met within a day and sat down and had coffee with for three or four hours and instantly became friends. Um, and then there are people that it took a long time to find. But um, part of it is don't feel like you have to start from scratch because there are people in your own life already that love you and care about you. And when they know what you're struggling with, they want to support you through it, even as they learn more about you that you might be afraid to share. And then the other part is finding people who may be in that lifestyle who can support you in a different way. Like I have friends from my life that are, that are close family. I have friends that are friends from even as far back as high school. And we've just recently reconnected over the last couple of years. And then I have new friends that the, the thing we have in common is that we're gay. One big mistake I see, especially in the gay community is that they think everything is about sex. And so if you're trying to connect only on that level, then you're not going to get into the deeper conversations you need to have the support. You're just going to, you know, you're going to have a release and you're going to get your stress worked out and whatever, and you're going to feel good for half an hour. And then you, it's, you feel even worse afterwards. It's a matter of putting yourself in places and conversations that are, that are about support and, and you're talking about issues that are in your day. So instead of sitting down to coffee and talking about what kind of guys you want to date, you're talking about what kind of struggles you've gone through today. And having those types of conversations are what build that support. Yeah, it's really important to find others like yourself, I think is the best way to put it. Some folks would call that like finding your own kind or, or whatever, but having folks who can understand where you're coming from and being able to find that can sometimes be challenging, right? Like trying to find mm -hmm. places to find like minds. Yeah. Like, and, and I think one of the good things now is with the advent of like the internet and social media, you know, like when we, I'll step back into kink for a minute and I know it's the same in a lot of other alternative communities, but like when we got involved in stuff, even like 10 years ago, it was one of those things where like, you know, you had to know somebody right. who had to like invite you out to the meetings and then like you finally started <laughs> uh -huh. to find other people. You and, had a secret hand knock at the yeah, door. And now it's like, 
you know, you can get all meet up and put in like, you know, like kinky meetups or polyamorous mm-hmm. meetups or, or LGBTQ. LGBTQ meetups or, you know, you can go on fa- like if you don't want to do stuff face to face, you can go on Facebook and find Facebook groups. So it is good. There's a lot more support available now and it's a lot easier to find than it used to be. But you do have to go out and and get it. Yeah. And I, and I think that there's an important combination. People people sometimes take things as all or nothing and that's really dangerous thinking. But when you, you know, like the people that I've met, I'm, I'm part of a gay fathers group, the Seattle gay fathers group here in, in our market that's through Facebook. I'm part of a, a, an LGBTQ uh, business professionals networking group on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And I'm part of different groups in different ways. And in each of those groups, I don't, you have to get to a point where you don't look at everything that's posted from the whole group and see it as the full entity, but you look for people in those groups that have maybe similar comments on things or comment on the same threads in the same like-mindedness. And then you reach out to those individuals because you're not necessarily going to get the full support that you need at a deep level from a hive. But when you find those individual worker bees that you can work with something together or have conversations, that's where you get deeper connections and, and, and trust. And that's some of the best friends that I've met have been through those groups. And some of them we haven't even met in person, but we talk almost every day because we found something in common on one of the threads. Yeah, we, um, it's funny, we have a Facebook group for like poly folks. We just celebrated what our year, year anniversary. Yeah. And it's funny because it was what you were saying, right? Where you, you see people mm-hmm. talking about like, they're talking about their day to day, like struggles and you know, here's what went good today. Here's what went bad today. Like, but it's a place they can do it openly without worrying about, you know, oh, I mention. I, I can't mention X, Y, and Z, or I have to worry about slipping up and saying this or saying that. And It's really awesome. And I think one of the areas where people have problems is that they think that there isn't, they, they have this idea that there isn't like groups out there. They think there isn't things out there. Um, I don't know if you watched the show, Grace and Frankie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I love, love that, that show. show. <laughs> but there was, there was one episode where, Grace's daughter's talking to her and she's like, maybe you can find a group for (laughs) (laughs) women over 70 whose husbands divorce them because they're gay. And the truth is, is that honestly, there might be like you just have to take that effort to find people to take the time to do that. And it's really it's really, really important because it's easy for us to go. I'm the only person like this and there's no reason to look for anybody else. So I do have I do have one, you know. Uh, we we will end on a funnier note because we do have the speed round, right. but I do have one one more kind of deep question here. I figured I'd, I'd give you that to warm you up before I threw you a hardball. One thing that I do think is a super interesting question, it seems kind of up your alley, is one question we get asked fairly regularly is, how do you decide when to come out? Like, how do you decide when it's time to come out about something? And, you know, I'll, I'll put something here because we get the question from various ends. You know, when do I come out about being LGBTQ? When do I come out about being poly? When do I come out about being kinky? Like, when is the right point? How do you make that decision? And we we have some rather general advice we give people as far as, like, if your partners are starting to feel like dirty little secrets, that's not good. But beyond that, I'm curious as to what input you have on that question. So how do you decide when to come out and when you're not being authentic and when that's affecting your day-to-day life? You know, it's it's interesting because for me, I didn't I didn't really plan it out very well. It just kind of naturally, it felt like the right time. But I I would say that the factors 
are, there's two things that were, were big factors for me. One is we talked earlier about fear and how much fear there was in being in the closet all day long. And I think the only reason we are motivated to face our biggest fears is when something else gets scarier. And for me, the fear of always living my life the same way and never being my true self got scarier than the fear of coming out. And so when, when the fear of, of staying in the closet is scarier than the fear of actually getting out, that's, that's something to think about. But I think a bigger thing that, that might be a little bit easier to see is if staying in the closet about whatever it is that you're in the closet about is affecting your quality of life. And, and I see that with, with friends who are in a relationship that they can't share with other people because they're, they're not out. So that means that they can't hold hands in public or be as affectionate. It keeps them from getting as close. So their quality of life is affected because they're not out. So when not being out starts affecting your quality of life to a bigger degree, then I think it's really a good time to seriously question facing those fears of, of why you're not coming out. I think that's some really good advice. Yeah, no, thank you. And I think there's also a point, right, at which the lies start to become kind of untenable, like just in and of themselves too. You know what I mean? Where you're, you have people who are so involved in your life that the effort of covering it up is becoming something that it, it's stressful just to even try and keep that all straight at that point. And it's not really even realistic to do so. Yeah, it's becoming verbal gymnastics. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'll tell you, when I, so when I came out, I came out to family and very close friends three years ago. Actually, in two days, it'll be three years ago. But it took me another year before I came out in my professional life. And a lot of my professional friends and coworkers were actually friends. And we were friends on Facebook. And and I will tell you that that year from when I first came out to when I came all the way out was almost more stressful and scary because I was more afraid of being outed in that year to the rest of the world because I was actually starting to live a gay life. So before that, there was nothing to be to really be outed because I wasn't out in the gay world. But once I started having gay friends, I started worrying, well, what if they tag me in a post at a gay bar and then someone from work is going to see it and then they're going to know I'm gay. And that's when I had to realize that it doesn't matter if they know I'm gay because I am gay. So it shouldn't be a bad thing. But it's that, that time when I hadn't come out fully and it was only halfway out was almost worse than when I was all the way in the closet. And it can be surprising too, right? It's, you know, and I, I didn't, uh, don't really have time for me to get into my whole story about coming out poly to my family, but it, it went, it went rather horribly, but you know, it was funny. And, and then, you know, I, I had come out of work at one point and that was actually very well accepted. It's, it's funny. You know, it was almost like the reverse of expectations. Yeah. I, I generally like when people ask me the rule of thumb, I generally give is like, you know, come out to particular people about a particular relationship when, you're finding yourself having to lie about that. But that's not even, you know, for some people, you do have to stay in, you know, the, you can't come out quite at that point. You really do right. have to weigh it at when is, when is the dishonesty becoming something, not like not when am I being dishonest, but when is the dishonesty becoming something that I'm not willing to deal with anymore? Mm-hmm. For sure. So, no, it was, so thank you. Yes, I really appreciate that. That was great advice. And I think that's super helpful to people because that is a question we get. All the time. All the time. So, I think without further ado to that, if you don't have anything else to add, I think we're going to hop into the speed round. All right. 
All right. So the idea is to get these questions done as quickly as possible. Okay. All right. So I'm going to ask you a question. Answer it as quickly as you can. Okay. First thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Generally, I think it's supposed to be what? Like supposed to be through all of them in 60 seconds is yes, the idea. Yes. That's the idea. In 60 seconds. All right. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. So what is something you're not very good at? Sticking up for myself. Best piece of relationship advice you've ever received? Be honest. What are three things you couldn't live without? Family, water, and friends. What turns you on? Men. (laughs) (laughs) Great answer. Um, Tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. That, That it's okay. That being uncomfortable is actually really a good thing. Awesome. A book you would recommend for our listeners? I would say The Velvet Rage. What's your biggest fear? Right now, being cut. What's the most adventurous thing you've ever done? Well, I've got... Uh, it can be sexual or non-sexual. We always put well, that out gonna, It does not have to be sexual. Well, that opens it up. Um, I would say I've gone on some pretty daring hikes in the middle of the night. Who is your movie slash TV star crush? Oh, gosh. What day is it today? <laughs> I would say the guy that played Superman, Henry uh, Cavill, I think his name is. What's something... <laughs> <laughs> the guy who played Superman's good enough. What's something you're working on right now that you want our listeners to know about? I'm working on writing my next book. It's called One Drive Stands, and it's about my days and nights as an Uber driver. (laughs) (laughs) That is an awesome book name. It just kind of fits. Where can our listeners find you online? My website, awkwardcareer.com. Okay, and we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, Any social media places you want people to check you out? I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, everything is either Andy Vargo or Awkward Careers. We'll link that as well. Well, thank you, Andy, for coming on the show. It was great having you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. You guys have great questions that are very thought-provoking. All right, guys. Thanks again for tuning in. And also, if you guys decide that you would like to join our Facebook group, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And as far as all of the other show notes, you can find that at atouchofflavor.com forward slash zero six two. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. 